0: So this has to be nonsense, right? I mean, look, can, we, can we get real here? I mean, you were listening, uh, beautifully read. Um, but surely this is away with the fairy stuff, right? Um, love those who hate us and are out to get us. Uh, give them a second shot to hurt us uh, when they've hurt, hurt us once already. Uh, hand over our shirt when they've already got our coat. Uh, let people uh, take from us without ever demanding it back. I mean, please please. And imagine yourself being among those that Jesus actually said these words to. Uh, because their enemies were all around them. Wearing the uniforms of Roman soldiers. They were occupied territory. So the people that they were being told to love and do good to were those people who were trotting them down, treating them badly, being miserable to them. I mean, imagine what was going on in their mind as they heard these words. I mean, just, just Picture it for yourself. Uh, Do good to those who rough you up. What? Let them know they can hit you a second time. What? When they already have your coat, let them have your shirt as well. What? I mean, life can't work like that, can it? I mean, there has to be something wrong with these words. I, I, I remember the time I was driving... Uh, with my wife next to me, and I promised I wouldn't tell any stories about her, but I have to tell this one. The police pulled me over. I won't tell you why. And her words to me were, talk yourself out of this then, all right? And I feel this is one of those moments. How, How do you justify seemingly ridiculous words like that? Well, I think I would suggest to you, rather than this being away with the fairies, the very opposite is true. Why? because we need to think about who it was that was speaking. The one that was speaking was God himself. I mean, this isn't just some sort of useful guru, you know, a a religious version of uh, Martin Lewis. Uh, This is the one who was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was the one who, the words that we are hearing here, came from the one who spoke everything into existence. This is God speaking so however strange and obscure and unreasonable what we're hearing now we need to understand that these are coming from God himself they're part of the greatest wisdom that has ever been given Jesus didn't just fill his time between being born and going to the cross saying a few useful things he came to give us an understanding of the best way to live so how can it be realistic how can it be reasonable well, it all makes sense when you understand the overarching principle that Jesus gives that all these seemingly unreasonable uh, things that he says we have to do. There's a kind of an umbrella that goes over everything, an umbrella over these unreasonable statements. And it's this, his words from verse 36. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. You've got to be merciful just as your father is merciful. Everything is set in a context of how merciful God is to us, which is how we are then to show mercy to others. And, of course, we talk a lot about grace, don't we? We understand grace, which is getting what you don't deserve. We don't often think about mercy, which is not what getting what you do deserve. And Jesus is saying, you get from God what you don't deserve. He doesn't give you what you do deserve. In the same way, that's how you are to treat others. So what does does mercy look like? Well, Jesus told a story which helps us to understand that very well. It's a story you're familiar with. It's the lost son. The problem is we have somehow romanticized this story. You see, this is not a romantic story about a young man who kind of lost his way and fell on hard times. This isn't a year out that went pear-shaped. All right. There was nothing nice about this totally self-centered brat. I would like to tell you he was a little, but I can't use that word in this public and uh, I'd never get to preach here again. But there is a word I'd like to use because that's the word that's absolutely true about someone we've romanticized. He demanded what should never have been in his hands. He forced his father's hand in a way that a son should never have done. He abandoned his older brother to carry on the work of the family business, why he went off on his own way. He lived co- totally indifferent to the love of his father and with no shame whatsoever. And why did he come home? Not because he felt sorry, not because he felt bad about what he'd done, not because he totally let down the family. And to the ears of the people in Jesus' time who heard this, they would have understood that this was disgrace upon disgrace upon disgrace. The only reason he went home is because he had no choice. There was nothing else for him but to go home. And then Jesus, in verse 35 of our reading, says, God our Father, being kind, showed mercy to the ungrateful and the wicked. And without doubt, the uh, the lost son was among the ungrateful and the wicked. But we need to own up that that's where we stand too. In our own way, our, in our own way we have been, or are, just as ungrateful and wicked as that son. I mean, Paul puts it in Romans, doesn't he? Uh, God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled. Some people would die for a good man, but not for people who are bad. And, you know, if, if we haven't understood yet that God has chosen not to give us what we deserve to get because of our ignorance and rebellion and going on our way. We really haven't got hold of what all this Christian stuff is about. But here's the son returning home, and there's the father. And the father breaks into a run. He returns home because he has to. The father runs towards him with mercy because he wants to. He runs, the father runs. In that culture, an adult never ran. You lose your dignity when you run at that sort of level. Uh, And he ran towards his son not to take out revenge, not to give him punishment, which he duly deserved. Not to say, pay off your debt, sunshine, or make amends, work it off. He floods the one who had treated him so badly with mercy by not giving him what he deserved. And he does the same to you and me. And what Jesus does is give this as a picture of God's love and mercy, something that's totally beyond reason. I am beyond any understanding of God's love. Someone tells me, Why should God love me? I cannot understand it. Why God should love any of us? I cannot understand. It's beyond understanding that the God who created all things with such magnificence should actually set his love on grubby, rebellious people like us. And yet he did it. We are, Jesus says, to be as unreasonably merciful and compassionate to others as our Father in heaven is to us. Have you got that? That's the principle under which all these instructions that Jesus then gives this is the benchmark for our living Uh, we are to be lavish unreasonable mercy on the people around us we're to treat others with that kind of unreasonable mercy so what does that mean then in reality okay we are to be as unreasonable we are to be as unreasonably merciful and compassionate that's the benchmark that's how it works the same as god does it so are we so what does it mean then so someone knocks on our door and asks for our 64-inch plasma. And as they're walking down the drive, we chase after them and said, would you like my sound bar as well? Is that actually how it works? Are we to respond to every charity appeal that lands on our, our mat, of which there is enough? Every unwelcome email that comes and says, give me, give me, give me? Every little pop-up box that says, we want your money? Uh, next time we're munked on the street, if ever, are we to say, thank you very much? Please do it again. Is this, is this what's on order? And we need to understand that, that what is happening here is that, that Jesus is using hyperbole. Hyperbole, a, a way of describing an English figure of speech, or a figure of speech, which makes an exaggeration uh, to make a point. Um, we do it. You hear it. I told you a thousand times. All right? That's hyperbole, I hope. You know? Um, my feet are killing me. You know? Hyperbole you never put the dishes in the dishwasher. Hyperbole. Or or, or my favorite, and here's the wince, here's my favorite, I have absolutely nothing to wear. All right? And I'm sure, ladies, that's true for you, but that is actually hyperbole. And and this is, the, the use of hyperbole, exaggerated figures of speech to grab attention, is one of the great distinctive features of Jesus' teaching the preposterous overstatement. Uh, You'll know some of them if you've read the Gospels. He says, if your right eye causes you sin, tear it out and throw it away. And there have been those who've taken that literally and done themselves great stupid damage because this is hyperbole. If you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move. And I've no doubt there are people who've been praying and waiting for the mountain to move and figured there's something wrong with their praying. Or he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, children, brothers and sisters, they can't be my disciple. These are simple examples of Jesus saying things which are not to be taken literally any more than, I could eat a horse. Jesus uses massive exaggeration to grab our attention and then shock us into realizing there's a deep truth that we need to get hold of. And here's the danger. The danger is we let the exaggeration blind us to the truth. We treat the the exaggeration as though it's true. It seems to be unreasonable, so we turn the page, whistle a happy tune, and hope one day it will all make sense. But that's it. And the truth behind these statements from Jesus is very simple. That the way God treats us is to be the operating system that governs the way we treat others. This passage is not about the detail. It's about the big picture. And he gives us four areas of life for that big picture. He tells us first that we are to uh, uh, love our enemies. We are to give unreasonable mercy to those who are against us, facing us. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And sure, that's the very opposite of the way life works. Basically, we say don't get mad, get even. And 10 minutes in London traffic will produce a few of those opportunities. And you may have others in mind. But Jesus is saying that underneath those issues where someone is in our face and against us, We need to behave differently to the prevailing way in which our culture behaves and against the prevailing way in which the culture of the time behaved. Our reaction is not to take revenge and get back at those who are against us, however you define enemy in any situation. When I had the privilege of working with World Vision, the Relief and Development Agency, I came across a story of of a, a Ugandan woman. This isn't her, but it could equally be. Her husband had abandoned her, despised her, been her enemy in a sense, gone off to find work at a uh, a great distance, returned three years later in the last stages of dying as a result of HIV-AIDS. And what did she do? She showed him unreasonable mercy by lovingly nursing him to his death. And there will be times when you and I can be as unreasonably merciful and compassionate as is our Heavenly Father in situations not as great as that, but at times when clearly someone is against us. And then Jesus says we're to to do the same to those who attack us. Uh, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them to the other also. And the word translated there, slap, is best translated punch, no matter what others may have told you. Jesus is talking about uh, the way we react to mistreatment and attack. People who come at us not just in attitude, but actually with physical standing. Uh, Historically, it was an eye for an eye, which which basically meant if someone takes your eye out, you're only allowed to take one out of theirs, not two. That's the measurement. But Jesus moves on from that. Uh, Jesus looks for something else from us. We say he hit me, so I'll hit him. But Jesus has other thoughts. Uh, After all, does God give back to us what we dish out to him? That's how we are to treat others. And this isn't about pacifism. So Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live live at peace with everyone. In other words, there will be at times when peace is not possible. And we may never face physical attack But there will be times when someone treats us in a way that makes it possible for us to show them the same unreasonable mercy our Father in Heaven shows us. Thirdly, Jesus talked about those who want to take from us. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. There's a parallel to all this in Matthew's Gospel, because uh, both Matthew and, and Luke record similar teaching in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, this piece is is kind of in the context of if you're sued for your coat give them your shirt also in both settings it's kind of like this person almost has the right to take this but even so we would normally say how can I limit my damage here if I'm in a court of law and I'm being sued and I'm wrong how can I mitigate the damage whereas Jesus says we should hold on likely to what we have after all we can't take it with us Every night, Julio Diaz, a 31-year-old New York social worker, ended his long, hour-long subway commute uh, in the Bronx, New York, a stop early to eat his favourite dinner. But on March nine years ago, Julio's evening took an unexpected turn. As he left the train, a teenage boy with a knife uh, pulled his knife on him and demanded his money. And that's what he's got. But as the youth walked away, Julio called after him and said, wait, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people all night, you might as well take my coat too to keep you warm. That's him. And that's what he did. And the robber said, why are you doing this? And uh, uh, Julio replied, well, if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, I guess you must really need the money so I was just going to get dinner but if you'd like me to buy me if you'd like me to buy you a dinner uh, you're very welcome and they went to eat together and talked I don't have the end of the story but the beginning of the story is oppressive enough for me and there may not be times when you're in a law court in another situation but there will be times in our lives when we will need to be as unreasonably merciful To someone who wants something from us, as our Father is in heaven, to us. Fourthly, Jesus talks about those who want something from us. He says, "Give to everyone who asks." Again, in contrast, the prevailing attitude then and particularly now, we've heard it: charity begins at home, which usually means my home. All right, I don't trust charities. Uh, People should get a job. Our attitude needs to be one of overwhelming generosity to those in need. And, and you know what it strikes me? Of all the ways that Jesus asks us to show mercy to others, this is where we actually do best. And, and, and we shouldn't sort of sit there feeling guilty as though we're doing a bad job. Because actually Christians are those in the whole of society who are most likely to give. During my time with World Vision, uh, the Children Relief and Development Charity, they, they put advertising on Classic FM particularly to gather child sponsors. They had a really good response. I joined them soon afterwards, and we did a, a database analysis, and we discovered that overwhelmingly those who people who'd responded were Christians like us. Out of that neutral audience, that's where they were. Why? Because Christians are more likely to give. There is a spirit of generosity that God gives us. Uh, what a joy if we could translate it into the other three areas that we're challenged on. And the word here, to give, is a continuous uh, word. It's not just to give now and again, but it's a continuous attitude to give. But I think there's more going on here behind the text than simply uh, giving to charity. Someone I know well was on holiday a while ago uh, in uh, in Africa, and went shopping uh, for trinkets, you know, the usual uh, souvenir stuff came into a traditional market store uh, and I'm told the the guy selling had great dreadlocks and and they made a pile of the stuff and the guy with dreadlocks gave a price and stood there waiting for this rich Westerner uh, to barter to save themselves the equivalent of about four pounds. And the Westerner looked the guy in the eye and said, uh, that's fine, Uh, you've got... uh, children to feed and a a woman to keep Uh, that's fine Uh, and this person I know well said that this this guy with the dreadlocks, his eyes filled with tears because he'd experienced a generosity that probably no one else had shown him and this person did it simply because they were a Christian Uh, what if the hare and hounds noticed that their most generous tippers were all from HTC wouldn't that be just a great Moment of testimony. What's an extra quid here and there? For Some of you here it's a great deal, but for most of it, it's nothing at all. There are opportunities that abound in daily life to show an unreasonable level of mercy and compassion, as, it, uh, as does our Father in heaven. So to sum it up, what have we got? In contrast to a society that is all about me, my rights, Jesus calls us to a full surrender of our personal writes to show mercy even at a cost to ourselves because after all wasn't God's own mercy at a cost to himself his own son but if these things sit under the umbrella of being as merciful as God is there's also something that undergirds it all that's having an accurate understanding of ourselves Jesus says don't judge why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Another of these great vivid things that Jesus does to exaggerate to make sure people understand. And it's having a right understanding of ourselves which changes some of these reactions we might have. You see, when people hate, attack, or demand, my usual response is, who do they think they are? And what God wants me to do is to ask, but who do I think I am? And Jesus says, don't make judgments based on a feeling that you are somehow superior and they are inferior. You've got it together and they haven't got it together. You know more than they do. You have rights and they don't. Uh, Rosie and I sat with a couple of doctors a while ago. And I was intrigued to ask a question of one of them. I said, well, how do you feel when you get someone who comes into your surgery who's only there because they've abused their own bodies they've eaten far too much, smoked too much you know, just wasted away and I waited for these condemning words because I, I figured that's how I would have felt and the answer that came was oh, we just love them we just figured that there must be something in their past that causes them to behave like that after all, they don't want to be like that they don't want to be overeaters. They don't want to be comp- have compulsive behavior. We figure there must be something somewhere in their past or something about them that is not the way they would wish to be, and we love them. And this doctor was a Christian, and I wasn't surprised, and that was a, was a moment of recognition to me that it's an un- not judging, an understanding who they are that allows us to show mercy. See, we have to keep in mind that good people, including us, get it wrong sometimes that there's often more than one side to a story. And it's nearly impossible to act and think rationally when you're stressed. So let's show some unreasonable mercy that God shows to us. And briefly, just for two reasons. First, every time we do it, gives us a constant reminder of how great God's mercy is to us. Every time I have an opportunity to think, no, he cut me up, I'm I'm not going to cut him up, is a reminder to me that God has shown me the kind of mercy that I ought to be showing that person. Whenever I choose to show mercy to someone that's unreasonable, it's a reminder to me of the mercy that God has shown me on the cross. And second, it will show others what God is like. By being different to the world around us, by showing mercy in the way that people seem unreasonable out there, is going to show other people what God is like. And how else are they going to see it? How else are people going to see what God is like? Uh, they will know us are Christians by our love. Well, does, what does that mean? We don't fight over the last bun and bit of cake at the back. We don't argue about what the worship's like. They need to see a living expression of what God is like. And the only way they can see it is in the way we live and showing something unreasonable. It's only by our actions... They will get a glimpse of a God who is ready to show them an unreasonable mercy. Jesus spoke about his disciples needing to be like lights on a hill. In the darkness as people travel with, no amb- with no ambient light, they looked for a sign of safety and refuge. And Je- Jesus said that we should be like that. We- our lives should be lights. And he said, and the people who see your lives should come to worship and acknowledge your God because of what you do. You'll have... Good news is there's a better way to live. You'll have heard of the Amish people, Christians living in rural areas of the United States. A little group of them had their lives shattered on the 2nd of October, 2006, when a 32-year-old man, Charles Roberts, a husband and father, walked into one of their schoolrooms, ordered the boys and adults to leave, tied up ten little girls aged between six and 13, and shot them, killing five, injuring the others, before turning the gun on himself. Uh, In the hours that followed, uh, the Amish parents still waiting for a word as to whether some of their children were still alive. Uh, The killer's wife and parents huddled for fear in their own home, figuring their old future was now gone that they were going to have to move, they were going to be hated, they were going to be despised within the neighbourhood. And as they waited, Henry, an Amish man, arrived at their home to say he wanted to tell them that their community did not see the parents of the killer as their enemy. Rather, they saw them as parents who too had lost their child. Henry put his hand on the father's shoulder and called him a friend On the day of their son's funeral, nearly 30 Amish men and women, some parents of the victims gathered at the funeral so that the media cameras couldn't film the spectacle. But they did more than just forgive. Uh, They embarked on embracing them into the community. And when the killer's mother underwent treatment for breast cancer, one of the girls who came to clean her home was one of those who'd been shot but survived in the schoolroom. And I don't say this to condemn anyone, because Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save the world. And and I hold this out as a great hope and opportunity for us to say there's a better way to live, an invitation to live that way. In the light of all this, we're offered the opportunity to live in a different way to a world around us, and to hold it there. And if the musicians had come now, we're going to, sing in a moment. But we have been offered the opportunity. Jesus doesn't threaten us and say, you would better live like that. He says, here's a a way to live. and and Think how our communities would be different. How our relationships would be different. How our families would be different. How our nations would be different. If only we allowed the, the kind of unreasonable mercy that that Amish community showed to those who had so damage their family, permeate in our own lives. So in a moment we're going to stand and sing and we're going to think of that mercy together. We're going to to remind ourselves of, we're going to kneel in in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me and consider the mercy that God has shown us. And as we do that, I'd encourage us to think about how we can show that mercy to others. Maybe there are situations in our lives right now or in the past. I certainly know there are things that I wish I had handled differently if only I'd have taken note of what God's word here. And when we finish singing, I'm going to briefly pray for us as a, a commitment for those who face those kind of issues. So let's sing together. I will kneel in the dust. A moment just for us to respond. I'd like to pray uh, for all of us who... Feel that they would like to say yes I would like to make a fresh commitment to to live and show that kind of mercy to others uh, to respond you're gonna to need to get hold of your mobile phone could you just do that for a second for me um, I'm not gonna ask you to text anyone but having a mobile phone would be helpful at this moment and I'll show you why because if we're responding we're talking about being a light aren't we a light that other people can see a light that people can track so they can understand the wonder of God's mercy for themselves. It's possible you've got a little device that will allow you to do that. If you want to be included in this prayer, I'm going to invite you to just shine as brightly as you can and hold your light up as high as you can. If you want to be included in this prayer, and if you don't want to be, that's absolutely fine. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm not going to stand here in a sense of superiority. I'd like to stand with you, if the microphone will allow it. And uh, let's just pray together. Father God, we do stand in awe and wonder at your mercy. And yet we are such poor, fallible people. And a desire to behave as you do is seemingly beyond us. But please hear our desire to do that. So that we can shine for you. We pray for your help over decisions we might have made of situations we need to address. But day by day, may we in our lives, as this act of dedication, show your mercy to others as best we can. We ask it in Jesus' name.